Welcome to the Servant Leadership Online Training Summit, 10 Days to Better Relationships and Results, brought to you by Ken Blanchard, Barrett Kohler Publishers, and Conscious Marketer. Learn more at ServantLeadershipSummit.com. I first met John Stalwart, our next speaker, when we did some work together on servant leadership in his hometown, Pittsburgh. He is a best-selling author, speaker, and authority in the field of leadership development. His presentations and workshops help leaders through a practical leadership framework known as the Serving Leader Model from the book The Serving Leader that he co-authored with Ken Jennings. As an entrepreneur, he has launched multiple organizations. John understands the challenges of leadership, which helps him connect with audiences everywhere, and I'm sure with you. Welcome back to the Servant Leadership Online Training Summit. My name is Amanda Poole Walsh, and I'm the president of Conscious Marketer and also one of the co hosts and co producers of this event. And today I am so thrilled to be introducing you to Dr. John Stalwart. And for starters, John, I would love to start here with this question. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Well, Amanda, thank you, first of all, for uh, having us here. It's, a, it's an honor for me, it's an honor for the Newton Institute to be a part of this. I grew up in a, in a, a very um, separated culture in America among the Amish and the Mennonites, those are my people. And uh, as a boy, uh, I went through a process of needing to discover that my brain is wired for recognition of patterns. Now that's tough to learn in school. You know, in school we teach part to whole. We teach something and then we teach something on top and we learn piece by piece. I can't learn that way. When I grew up uh, and became a, a, an executive of a global leadership foundation movement, first of all, training director and then chief executive officer, I found myself in the presence of enough data. I need to see a lot of data to begin to understand anything that I'm looking at. And so for 18 years, every day, I was with executives and entrepreneurs and heads of hospitals and senior leaders in communities and mayors and governors watching them, watching uh, what they do. And so my boyhood, growing up in a very sequestered place, uh, really created uh, a, a great set of, of uh, conditions for me to learn. And I think also, you know, we, we do serving leadership. And I grew up in a culture of service, a culture of community care, a cult culture of land stewardship. So I think there are some values that are also stitched into the way in which I was shaped that brought me to this leadership practice. Mm, wow. And, and what inspired you to write the book that uh, became a bestseller and a worldwide phenomenon, your, your book, The Serving Leader? Uh, I'll tell the story in a, just a quick arc. So those 18 years and some years before that, but those 18 years moving around the world in cities with senior leaders, and I was running an organization, but I was watching behavior styles, behavior practices, simple little ways in which the leaders that I was partnering with were going about their daily business. And I was watching that in relationship to how their, their organizations were, were functioning, were performing. Styles of leadership practice and results from their leadership practice. And it became very clear to me very fast that there's a pattern to things. I mentioned the pattern recognition. Every time I was in an organization, anywhere on earth where people were flourishing and results were being achieved and standards were being held and customers, patients, clients, whoever it was, was being served, the leaders were all doing the same simple behaviors. And so I began to capture that. Fast forward, in 1999, I was reached out to by a man named Bob Buford down in Dallas, Texas. He had been a uh, cable king. And long story in his life, he he stopped being a cable king. He became a partner of Mr. Mr. Peter Drucker. And with Drucker, they formed something called Leadership Network. And Leadership Network was studying leaders. That they, they called these people 100x leaders or leaders that were producing transformational results. And I got onto their list board. And so I got reached out by, um, by Buford. And um, they wanted to do uh, a study of of my work, uh, what I was doing in cities around the world. They, uh, Mr. Buford hired uh, Dr. Jennings to shadow me for a year. So Ken Jennings, um, wherever I would land in the city, Ken would land in that city. 
uh, to watch what we were doing in leadership and community transformation. And at the end of that time, Ken and I talked and, uh, and said, we ought to write this down. And so that produced The Serving Leader. Uh, it was an intent uh, when we wrote that book to capture what it was that we were watching leaders doing that I had been, been uh, sort of patterning over nearly 20 years. And then that uh, ended up in Ken Blanchard's hands, and then it ended up in Barrett Kohler's hands. And that was a, a magnificent uh, sequence of events. But that was the trajectory. It was a long life of watching great leaders, recognizing what those men and women are doing who produce great and, 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 and beautiful results in people, for community, for customers, then writing that down at the end of a, of a research project that was funded by, by Bob Buford. Wow, brilliant. What do you think in particular resonated so deeply with so many people? I mean, for it to become a bestseller, obviously a lot of people found a lot of value in it. Why do you think that is? Uh, I don't have to guess because uh, the leaders have told me. I, uh, my phone began to ring. The book came out in 2003, the first edition, and my phone began to ring. I began to hear from executives around the world. And um, the simplest re kind of repeated story that I got was, you know, read this book and this book nailed what I've been doing. This is what I've been doing, but I haven't known how to talk about it before. I haven't known how to get it, and, and I, I describe it this way now, get it up and out of me and down and in to people and culture and systems so that when my back is turned um, or when I'm not here any longer, it continues. I haven't known how to transfer it. So people have told me that it provided them a language, uh, that it was simple, that it was actionable, practical. Uh, those words came through so many times. A lot of leadership is theoretical or, or inspirational, and you, th you think, oh, that's fantastic. Uh, but then you don't know what to do the next day. And, but this is actionable. What do I do day by day behaviorally that I can learn, that I can get better at, which produces the results we're all looking for. And, and then the other thing I've heard again and again is that it's a holistic framework. And so it's not a one-off, uh, you know, one subject area in leadership, but it captures the whole body of a person's leadership practice. And so it's provided people a framework mm -hmm. for what they want to get better at, what they want to learn, and it's given them a tool to embed. So th the main driver of the sale of the serving leader we've come to know has been executives buying massive quantities in order to create um, attraction inside their organization. So, uh, you know, the CEO of the Cleveland Clinic, the CEO of the rail division of Caterpillar, uh, the founder and CEO of the largest toy manufacturer in South China, in Guangzhou, in the Guangdong province, the CEO of the number one um, gas detection manufacturing company on earth, industrial scientific. The, it, it's been executives saying this works, this makes sense in business terms, in leadership terms, we actually have to get work done and this helps us do that and they've driven the sales. Mm, amazing, okay, and I'm hoping that you're gonna share with us some of the key secrets from that book so that we can all start using it today too. Yes, All right. yes indeed. Okay, so tell us about your partnership with Rick Newton. What, what led you to that um, partnership and, and facilitated your current role as the, pres the president of Newton Institution? Well, uh, Rick was a, a funder of my enterprise, uh, but I've, I, I've been, a, I've been a, um, a repeated entrepreneur. I, I build ventures. When I see the capacity to bring something into the marketplace that will add value, I become energized by that proposition, and then I, I gather resources and plans and, and, and bring things into, uh, into existence. And I, I've done that uh, eight or nine times. And I sometimes joke that the, the, the chief secret of the track record that I have, that track record being that the, the organizations I've built flourish, uh, um, in the oldest case, 20, 24 years after I started it, they flourish. The chief secret is that pretty quickly, I put these things into the hands of other people who know what to do after the value proposition has been clarified and you know it's clear that this is a good thing. Um, that's when my attention span begins to, ta uh, to, to taper off. And so I was talking to Rick in 2011, 2012, 2013, and we had a conversation 
in 13 where we said to each other, you know, are we better together? Rick Newton is a builder of extraordinary businesses in the training and consulting space. He has a, a consulting company that's global, aspirant. He's got a training company, Newton, tra uh, Newton Talent. And he had a vision to build a leadership company. And what he's good at is building scalability, replicability, uh, you know, distribution capacity. How do you grow strong, enduring enterprise? And, um, and, uh, and so I, I had a conversation with Rick and he with me. And the question I asked him was, would you help me get this body of knowledge and skill out of me and down into systems and platforms and you know, distribution processes so this, so this can move on without me being present because we, we want to take this to the world. And we share, uh, Rick and I, we share a vision to catalyze a global tipping point uh, in leadership uh, by uh, encouraging people who, who embrace the principles of serving leadership. We believe that leadership is the chief cause of pain in the world in any sector, whether it's government or the nonprofit sector or the private sector. We believe that leadership is the solution to a lot of things that are broken. And, and we're very passionate about these, getting these things out. And I knew that if I didn't join with somebody with Rick's giftedness, that it would get stuck inside me. And so we came together for that purpose in 2015 and, uh, and began building things that, uh, you know, we now get to share. We'll be sharing some, some great things uh, uh, right as a product of, you know, of this time together. And it's very exciting to me personally to know that uh, we've reached a moment where this work does not require me. And um, uh, that uh, there, there was a day in May of 2017 this year as we're uh, doing this you know this live conversation when i went home at the end of the day and i realized it's out of me and you know um uh, a dark comment i could be hit by a bus <laughs> and this work uh, would would go on i have no desire to be hit by a bus but it was a weight off my shoulders uh, it, to me it was a stewardship issue uh, how do i be faithful to this and by being faithful to this how do i get it uh, away from me so that I don't, it's not dependent on me showing up. And, uh, and Rick pulled that off. Rick and his extraordinary team pulled that off. And I am a very, very happy man. <laughs> that is very, very inspiring to hear. How, I'm curious, how long in the eight to nine um, endeavors that you've built or that, you know, you've helped to build, uh, how long does it normally take? Is it, is it about two to three years before you're, you can start to, exit out of that and it's self-sustaining or, or is there a formula around no, that? There's, I, I don't think there's a formula, but if you watch my particular way of working, I, I have a pattern. Yeah, so what's your pattern? <laughs> I think that there are people who can do this a lot faster or people who, who never do it. And so, uh, so I have a pattern. And if you look at the things I've birthed, uh, there is a, a three to four year window of my intensive involvement. Um, what, and then there's a longer period of time um, when I've built social sector entrepreneurial ventures, I've stayed chair of the board for a decade. So three years, maybe four years, but then remaining in a place where I can protect the new leaders, you know, guard the DNA of the organization, uh, because there's, there's a forming process that needs to get solid. It's like a DNA process that needs to stay clear. And I've, I've stepped down off of the boards of organizations I've founded several times at the decade mark. But day-to-day -day intensive work, two years, three years, four years. Wow, John, I, I just have to say this. As a mother of two young girls, I have to say that it's a very similar process with our children, right? It the is. first two, three years, two, three, four years, it's like you're all in and they need you 100% and totally dependent. Right. But then there's this tapering process of, of, you know, you start to send them to kindergarten and then they're in first and second and they need you less and less and they're they're individuals. So it sounds like the same process you've experienced with your business. As a matter of fact, it's, a, it's an absolutely apt uh, analogy. I'm the father of two girls. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, we're talking about bringing something to life. And, and I've believed for a long time that in the same way that a human being has a distinctive and unique character, DNA, wiring, mission, vision, passion, you know, everything that makes the distinctiveness of a person. 
you know, we help that person come up into the world where they can begin to get traction with what they're best for and why they exist. That's true for organizations too. There's a unique reason an organization gets brought into the world and there's a responsibility to parent, to mother or to father that, that institution, that organization so that it can be what it's supposed to be. All right. I love that. Okay. So I would guess that through the eight or nine organizations, servant leadership has been at the, at the core of it. Why is the topic of servant leadership so important to you? Why do you feel so passionate about it? Yeah. You know, it's, it's really interesting, Amanda, that um, if you go back, um, well, if you go back 50 years, there's no consensus on what a leader ought to do. Uh, people were all over the map and, and catastrophes were all, all over the map. Not that there aren't catastrophes today, but there was no consensus. Today we see we're at a very unique moment in, in leadership practice and leadership understanding because we can now say with confidence that there are certain things that leaders need to do because they work better. They produce better results. And what we've been doing, you know, we have the five actions of the serving leader, but then we map those to the characteristics of, of a flourishing culture inside an organization. What's clear is that any organization that produces its results has to build a flourishing culture. And we identify six characteristics of an extraordinary culture in which we see these things happening. And uh, we've been tracking this and watching this uh, over the years. You know, uh, the old saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast, um, which many people have heard. Uh, we say that, that leadership eats culture for lunch. You know, results in the marketplace, any kind of results you want, you know, if this is a, if this is a blended value company or, or if this is a, a B Corp or if this is a, a, you know, a triple bottom line company or a private sector company or a nonprofit organization or a hospital or a school, it doesn't matter. There's, some, there's something we need to get done. There's a customer, there's a, there's, a, there's a purpose that we need to serve. And then we discover that what gets that thing done is the people, and the culture of the organization. And then we discover that we leaders are back here either building those people and develop, developing that culture, or we're back here undercutting those people or undercutting that culture. Our job is to grow people, build culture. We identify six characteristics of, of a high-performance culture. Number one, a high-performance culture is a place where everybody understands why their work matters. And this is now no longer a debatable point. People come to work with a realization that when they hunker over their, their task, however, quote unquote, menial looking, they know, it, they know it matters. They know why it matters. They know it's meaningful. And, and we'll talk later about this, but we leaders have a task to help them understand how their work matters. Number two, a high performance culture is a place where values are practiced across the organization. Interesting thing about human beings, they don't bring their A game for um, a liar. You know, they don't bring their A game for an ad campaign that says, we're this kind of a company and everybody inside the organization knows, no, we're not. Uh, they may stay in the employment of a company like that because they're sensible. They need the job and they don't have another job and the pay's good or whatever. They've got kids, whatever that is. They may remain in the employment. They may do the things on the checklist in order to fulfill what's required but you won't get their A game, you won't get their imagination, their heart, their sense of honor, their sense of worthiness without values being practiced across the organization. Number three, a high performance culture is a place where there's great discipline around what are these activities that matter most. We know what our mission is, we know what our customers value, we know what we're producing, and we're clear about not doing a lot of other stuff. And so there's some lean in here, but there's a, there's a great leadership discipline. Another interesting thing about human beings, we don't like to be wasted. And well, I pay you good. Yeah, but you, you, you're not clear. And you tell me to go left and you tell me to go right. And then you say, never mind, go left again. That bothers people. And so great mission focus matters in an organization. And it always shows up in high performance cultures. Number four, we match people's roles with what's, what they're passionate about, what they're good at, the whole strengths movement. Number five, we teach our managers, our leaders at every level, how to equip their people to become more. I think about it as a, as a, as a rising um, tide. You know, we're here today and our people are here 
and, and through effective delegation and equipping, we empower them to take on more and more responsibility and authority so that they increasingly can make decisions and take action and do their job without glancing over their shoulder, wondering what they should do, because we've, we've embedded within their, their framework everything they need. And then derivative of these five always is results. Uh, we do the first five, the sixth happened. And I'll tell you this, Amanda, that's very interesting. I, I, I've, I've been with the number one companies in their sector all over the world. And they all have the same story. The founders of those companies uh, tell me, you know, when I started this company, I didn't really know it would turn out that well because I decided to treat people right. I decided to keep my promises. I decided that I was going to get something done in the world that mattered. And I, I hoped we would be profitable. And interestingly, that kind of discipline produces the, the focus required for value creation, value exchange, profitability, you know, keeping our eye on what has to be done and so forth. And so we identify these six characteristics and, and these map directly to the five actions of the serving leader found in our book. And so this is why we're so excited is we, we were early into seeing what is emerging and being validated all around the world by leaders who do great work. John, what do you, have you ever evaluated the difference in what it does for the employees when uh, you know profit uh, goals or results you know metrics aren't met versus because that could be seen as like a broken promise sort of right absolutely way, right? versus the other kinds of promises that we make about the values or or what the organization stands for have you ever had a chance to look at the difference between those types of quote unquote broken promises and what that does for trust well, it's very clear. So if you look at uh, number two on the screen and number three on the screen, it's very clear that, that keeping our word, uh, living out our values, um, maintaining you know, the promise of our brand makes a huge impact on worker morale and engagement. It's also very clear that hitting our targets, you know, um, uh, saying we can get this done, and then as leaders, bringing what is required to the table to make sure it gets done also impacts the morale uh, and the engagement of our people. And, um, and, and all the literature, all the research is clear on this as well. It matters that we um, bear fruit. It matters that we get to the finish line um, in, in terms of worker engagement. They both matter. You know, you can have a high values alignment culture that never achieves its goals and always is behind budget and, and, and struggling. Morale is terrible. And you can have a, a, an organization that's making money and uh, really hitting its targets, but everything it says about what it believes is false and morale is terrible. So it both matters. Okay, tell us a little bit more about the serving leader model and how it affects the creation or advancement of a high-performing culture. So uh, we have two frameworks that we work with. And the first framework that we work with is, is the, the serving leader compass. And we use this to provide navigational direction uh, for leaders. And then the second framework we use is the upside down pyramid, the five action model. We use that to help leaders understand what to do and how to move in the direction they've set. And so just very quickly and very briefly, I'll take you around the points of the compass. And we've built assessments and resources to really unpack this for leaders so that they can get a very deep uh, understanding of what it is that, that they need to have in place and also to be able to identify what they already have in place so they, they get the encouragement of that. First of all, on the serving leader compass on the eastern point is DNA. Um, we put DNA, that is, who are we? There's a unique quality to who we are that comes out of the, the very founding of the organization, but then gets embedded like DNA as DNA into the heart of the organization. Think of Steve Jobs with his with his DNA of innovation that ju it just permeated and excellence and design. It was, it was built into him. It got built into the organization. We need to get clear on what that is. We put um, DNA on the east, you know, where the sun rises because at the beginning of the day, at the start of the enterprise, that's foundational. And so we want to look at that. On the south pole of the compass, we put values. That answers the how question, how do we behave? Uh, and we talked about that just a minute ago. We put that on the South Pole 
of our compass uh, because um, it, we stand on it. It's foundational. Sometimes we also say, you know, that uh, when values go south, everything goes south. It's, it's, it's the, the frame and the base of everything we do. Uh, we put mission on the serving leader compass on the Western pole. Uh, mission is what do we need to get done? Mission accomplished at the end of the day, at the setting of the sun. You know, in a couple of years, what is the story that we want to tell of what we did? Uh, mission will change from time to time as we accomplish missions and, and the horizon moves out and we see new things we can do and then we establish new sight lines that we chase. That answers the what question. And then true north, north star, never changing, uh, is vision, uh, answering the why question. We like to use the expression great purpose or in the serving leader, run to great purpose because there's always urgency with vision. Why does it matter? Uh, how are we making a difference? Why should we roll out of bed in the morning? And, uh, and then with this compass, we, we have the navigational capability to assess where are you and, um, and where are you going and how can, how can we you know, work at the low-hanging fruit to get better? And then uh, the other side of the equation in our tool suite is the, uh, the five action model of the serving leader in which we work through those behaviors I talked about at the beginning, where we have inside each of these five actions, three behaviors that I benchmarked over, it's now 25 years of what are those leaders doing? Not complex stuff, Amanda, you know, not PhD stuff, uh, highfalutin stuff that you can't pronounce. Simple things that are behavioral, that we must get good at. We might say they're common sense things, except they're not common practice. They are common sense. They're not common practice. And and I often point out to the executives I serve that, who say to me, you know, I, I kind of already knew this. For example, raise the bar. I need to run this organization according to values. I, I think I already knew that. And uh, I say very respectfully often to leaders I serve, I know you know it, but you're not doing it. And I say that respectfully because if someone had shown them, how do I do that? They would be doing it. They're good leaders. They're good people. Our tools down inside, run to great purpose, vision, North Pole, raise the bar, uh, values, South Pole, blaze the trail, mission, um, West, and uh, build on strength, which is the all-encompassing, um, you know, who are we and how do we get our, our uh, talents aligned and up in the pyramid, how do we create our people to be able to grow and so forth, all have small tools inside them that are implementational, operational, applicational. How does this live inside a real organization on a day-to-day -day basis in a management practice that we can scale and track and measure and, uh, and get the results that we want? So these are the tools that, that we use in all of our practices within the Newton Institute. Mm, I am so appreciating the value of your gift of seeing patterns and obviously being able to translate them for everybody so that it's clear and simple and very, very powerful. It always helps to reinforce what you're saying with other examples. So you've experienced a lot of success with this. Can you give us some other examples of sure. great serving leaders? Yeah, well, Amanda, uh, that's a dangerous question, but uh, um, I'm not going to step into danger. It's dangerous because I'm a storyteller and I'm a story collector. Uh, my chief work is gathering stories. Um, uh, and so I could, I could keep us here literally for days because one of the most powerful things we can do for leaders when we talk about something like run to great purpose is then provide a tool that illustrates what do I actually do that gives them application and then tell them a story of how someone actually did it. And once the story's told, their brain animates all the way across. You know, when I say run to great purpose, you need vision. It's like, huh, that, that's reasonable but they aren't animated around what would I actually do? When I tell them a story, it all comes to life. And then immediately their imagination becomes engaged and they begin to know exactly what to do in their context. So I'll give you a quick one. And let me stick with Run to Great Purpose. Uh, I've been working uh, for many years with uh, the founder of Industrial Scientific Corporation, the, uh, the largest gas detection uh, manufacturing company on earth. And uh, Kent McElhatton, who founded Industrial Scientific in 1985, was one of those leaders who uh, he said to his wife, Martha, when he founded the company, I, I know I'm supposed to be making money, 
but I'm going to bet on my people. Uh, I'm going to put a bet on treating my people right, getting good people, serving my people, growing my people. And I think they will help us build a great company. And quickly in that process, he came to understand the importance of purpose. When Kent read The Serving Leader, right when it came out, I think he read it within a week of its publication back in 2003, he and I talked and he said, he said, John, what I love about this is you said run to great purpose. And he said, you know, we have an urgency about this. And so what they did at Industrial Scientific is they took this notion of great purpose and then they created, you know, great purpose communication plans. They, they build it into how they manage, how they measure. I'll give you an example. First day of employment at Industrial Scientific, the, the, the CEO of the company talks to new employees about the fact that we're not here first and foremost to make money. We are here to save lives. Their great purpose statement is that the people of Industrial Scientific are dedicating their careers to eliminating death on the job by 2050. And they say, look, you should not go to work and get killed. It is unacceptable to go to work and get killed. So they've given their people um, a way to think about their work more than we make gas detection equipment. You might say, well, that's obvious. Gas detection manufacturers, that's purposeful work. I tell you, Amanda, his competitors didn't think of it. What they thought of as, uh, what they thought of was, um, we're gonna be the number one gas detection manufacturer on earth, or we're gonna be a billion dollar company. That's what they thought of. But what Kent thought of is, we're gonna save lives. And the brilliance and the power of that is that he provided his people what they needed to do great work. And that's the discipline we need. You ask yourself the question, why would a worker roll out of bed in the morning and say, I gotta go to work and I gotta do my best? I promise you a vision to become a billion dollar company doesn't pull that off. A vision to go to work and make a difference does. So they do that day one, they have a communication plan. The CEO meets with classes of new employees, every class is everyone hired within a month. He meets with them offsite for six months in a row, once a month. Now what I just said is he has six standing lunches in his calendar forever. Why? Because he knows that his workers worked for someone else before Industrial Scientific, and that person said really nice stuff, and it was bull. And so he knows that saying this stuff doesn't win them. He's got he's to prove that he means it, so he sticks to it. And then the third thing they do, and they do a lot more, but I'm just giving you a taste, is they, they've produced, a I call it a supply chain of stories from the front back so that everyone in the organization gets nourished by the stories. I was there a number of um, years ago, and um, they had a picture of a young man and a young woman and two little boys, four and two years old, and they were, they were all four wearing um, slightly ridiculous uh, Christmas sweaters. And uh, the man was kind of smiling, and the woman was smiling, and the boys didn't know what was going on. What was going on is it was early December, and, and mom took them all to the studio because she wanted a Christmas card to send out that year for Christmas. And she produced the picture. And... Um, and Kent has had this picture and he was angry and he, he brought his team in and he showed him the picture and he told them about a company that does not use gas detection equipment. And he told them about the fact that this Christmas never happened because this man didn't come home. So they use that kind of power to get to the heart, to get to the emotions. You know, these stories move us. Uh, Kent says, we are emotional beings. This is the owner of the number one gas detection manufacturing company on earth. And he says, we are emotional beings. So this is an example of translation. I could keep you here a very long time on these stories, but concrete things that you have to put into calendars, you have to say, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to reward people for bringing stories back because the people out front hear the stories, but the people in back don't hear the stories. We need everybody to be alive. That's an example of, of the embedding and operationalizing side of leadership. Uh, you know, what we do is we translate these, these wonderful leadership principles into what do you do so that it functions, so that 
it produces the culture that creates results. Mm, wow, I have chills all over my body. I am so resonating with everything that you said and the power of bringing those stories into the workplace and really coming to life because the truth is it is alive and there are people being affected by the work that we do. So hearing the stories is essential. And and may may I, Amanda, just say that any job on earth that is needed can be made meaningful. You know, I've seen people working in children's hospitals who feel that their job is meaningless. Mm -hmm. And I've seen people manufacturing cardboard boxes in the back of an egg packaging plant at night who felt that their work was meaningful. That's a leadership responsibility. We can say, well, some jobs are just menial. That's a, that's a failure of leadership imagination. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, what is one of the most exciting things that you have seen at the Newton Institute so far? Well, we, uh, uh, there are a bunch, but let me just be re- really economical here. The online platform the online digitization in a very rich adult learning, you know, multi-dimensional um, experience of learning this and, and pulling down the worksheets and watching videos and, and so forth, that is done. Uh, it's very exciting to me because it, it, it takes a great weight off my shoulder. Um, the, we're just finishing, as we're filming today, the second um, group of facilitation training. Uh, and so last week, we trained a room full of facilitators from around the country who are, they're giants in their field, but they've come in, they're excited about the movement of serving leadership. They wanna make a difference. They wanna embed these tools. This week, we had a second group from around the country that came in. Um, we're just finishing round two. I head to Singapore on Monday for fourth trip in the last five months. And we'll do a certification training with facilitators there. We'll do more in September. And so the multiplication of people saying, I'm going to leverage my network, my business, my place, you know, my portfolio, and I'm going to bring the tool suite uh, that now exists inside uh, is happening. And, and uh, we have, um, you know, long programs to short programs, light touch to long, an assessment um, tool for understanding DNA. So you can take a, a quick training and, and understand what is, you know, my DNA and assessment in and around value. So we're building many, many um, ancillary value add products that people want to just take a piece of that because they're good at the other stuff. And so there's a, there's a rapidness to the way that Newton Institute works. They're devoted to excellence and customer service. And I watch this, I, I, I can't exaggerate how, how meaningful this is to me to watch the stewarding of this work by people who are as good as I have ever seen on earth and to get it out to the world. Um, and the hunger for it in so many parts of the world. I mentioned Singapore, um, you know, the, the, the nation, the island, uh, the city of Singapore has, has just been opened um, uh, through a partnership there. We work through partnerships exclusively, uh, arming others, empowering others to do the work. And uh, we're working with a woman who used to run the equivalent of uh, the Department of Health and Human Services, at the National Council of Social Service. And, and, and she's trusted across the nation, and so we've served uh, hospitals and, and universities and nonprofits and, and, and law societies and, uh, and on and on. Uh, we're in the partnership building stage now, doing work with uh, you know, embedding this in places uh, that reach leaders through their own work. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm really thrilled and delighted by this. And I've heard that the, um, that the training that the Newton Institute offers is very different from other types of leadership training. What do you, what would you say are the key differences and why does the training deliver such impressive results? Again, I, d- I don't have to speculate because I'm told, I'm told by our, by our clients. And, um, and what they say again and again is, I know what to do with this training. This is directly applicational training. You know, I do a unit of work. And I take a small piece of new practice back to my team and they notice and I get bounce. Uh, and then I come back and I get another application and I go back. And so, you know, I started here, but applicational, operational, uh, anything we care about, Amanda, inside our organization, we operationalize it. If we care about it, if we say that matters, think about the, the pilot in the cockpit. He goes through that checklist every time. That's an, that's an operation. Uh, or you think about, you know, a, a nurse or a doctor, 
who, who has protocols that they follow because they want to make sure that infection doesn't happen. That's an operation. You say, well, I understand, you know, uh, how to not cause an infection. No, we operationalize what we, what we know is important. Here's the thing with leadership. We have to operationalize it. We have to systematize it. We have to embed it in small enough, simple, repeatable practices that everybody says, I get it. I know what to do. I know what to do. I know how to do it. Uh, and so that's the difference maker. And, and Amanda, I have had, I have had former uh, C-suite executives of Fortune 50 companies. I, I'll, I'll give you a quote without naming the name. He said, John, I went uh, to Harvard. I, I went to Wharton. I did work at Stanford. I was trained by one of the top uh, global telecommunication companies in leadership. This man is in his 60s, and he's a good leader. And he said, without exception, uh, without, without qualification, this is hands down the best experience I ever had in going through a leadership program that gave me real tools to get better. So practical, applicational, hands-on, implementable. That's that's what we do, simple, implementable practices. And in my own life, the only way I ever get better uh, is by understanding a small thing that I can shift in the way I go about something, you know, relate to somebody or whatever it is, small shift. Small shift implemented, changes everything. Little trajectory shift builds. That's how we grow. Little, real, followed through shifts. That's, that's, that is our uh, forte at Newton Institute. Wow, and it sounds like you're probably always innovating and offering new tools for people. Can you tell us some of the, the new and exciting tools that you're gonna be having available now or coming soon at the Newton Institute? Yeah, so, so online, uh, um, you know, uh, online training, uh, we, we have uh, what we call high-tech, high-touch versions where people uh, register for the online program and spend two hours a week going through their own stuff at their own pace. They'll do two modules or one module for two hours. And then they'll, uh, they'll join their cohort uh, for a live virtual uh, with me or, uh, or with someone else, but that's always made clear. So that um, it's high tech, all the value of that, you know, I do it when it suits me, I do it at my pace. High touch, we get a chance to actually interact on, you know, on a Zoom platform where we see each other's faces real time. We do that in public cohorts. Uh, you know, Newton Institute is always putting new public cohorts out that people sign up on. We do that as private cohorts. Uh, so a co we're doing this with multiple companies where a company says, I just want my people to do this. Uh, you know, my hospital team or, or my manufacturing senior executives, and I want to take them through this together so that, you know, John, when you're with us two hours every week, you can tailor the guidance you give to our implementations, to our unique uh, situations. And I mentioned you know, small deep drill downs into each each of the four points of the compass. Uh, serving leader is what we call the, the, the SLQ, the serving leader quotient, uh, which we're, we're developing. And so I work with and for a very fast paced, very innovative, high excellence leader. We will never stop scrambling to understand what will serve the customer better. And then what will serve the customer excellently? I, I work for a man. Uh, it's one of the, it, it is the most delightful uh, era of my leadership journey, bar none. Uh, and I, I was president and CEO of multiple entities for a long time. Now I am working with and for a man and very purposefully in order uh, to make sure that what I do is done well because he's doing it instead of me doing it. We will sit in a room and recognize a key shift that needs to be made in something like a, you know, a piece of our web platform. And uh, Rick Newton will say, we're all here. Let's do it now. Uh, you know, the moss never grows, you know. And, and so it's very exciting to, to work with someone with that kind of focus and devotion and determination to always remember what the customer needs. It's beautiful to see too that you know you as a leader can also be working for someone and he obviously views you as a leader as well. So it's not like you're forfeiting your leadership. You yeah. are a leader yeah. within an organization of leaders, which is brilliant. I tell you what, Amanda, I have never met a good leader who was not able to follow ever. Uh, so I'm in good company. Uh, if, if you can lead well, you can follow well.
It's, it's a question of role and function. What are we trying to get done? Back to serving leadership. It is not about us. We're trying to get something done. And I play a role and I play a unique role and I, I love playing it. Rick plays a role. And so to serve him in order for this mission to be accomplished is a no brainer. All right. Well, thank you, John, so, so much for sharing your wisdom, your stories, your experience, your pattern finding. It's been such a pleasure to share this time with you. And I know that the audience has gotten so much out of our time together. Uh, I would love to give you some time to talk about the bonus gift that you have made available to everybody. And then also for us to be left with a practice that we can implement today. Before I do that, I just wanted to real quick remind everybody that the Servant Leadership Online Training Toolkit is now available for $297. After the event, it's going to go to $497. So if you want to own the videos, the transcripts, the audio versions, all of the bonus gifts, you can do so now in a downloadable format. You can take it with you on the go, in your car, if you want to be, uh, and you can share it with your team. So if you would like to own this package now, you can do that for 297 and John <laughs> you are also offering a very amazing bonus gift and I just wanted to note that anyone watching this live broadcast right now during John's 48 hour live broadcast period you can download this gift can you tell us about the gift and introduction to the serving leader model the key to a high performance culture sure uh, so what we did we sat around the room and we said how else can we bring value uh, to this. Uh, what else can we do to bring value? And so what we did is we, we built a training program. It's a several hour online hands-on training program. This is what we do. Um, and so um, uh, this is a, a several hour, uh, approximately $500 training program that we're giving. And so this, this will take you through the entire serving leader model uh, at a high level and offer some some concrete specific ways that you can get better. So we're offering a piece of our training uh, treasure uh, to people who are part of this summit. That is incredible and so generous. A big, huge thank you or mahalo, as we would say in Hawaii, to you and your team for putting that together. That's amazing. So much value there. So, John, now I would love for you to take a moment and just share with the audience something that they can do today, right now, to begin implementing a lot of the things that you talked about with us today. So, um, I, I'm going to go as granular as I can now. Uh, you know, we talk about five actions, behaviors within those actions, and then each of those behaviors comes down into very small landing places on people's agenda, in their schedule. That's the system, that's the operationalizing of this. And so let me stick with run to great purpose. Here's an idea. So many ways to do this. But if you gather your team on a regular basis, it might be a 10 minute stand up in the morning at the retail store or you know, it might be a, you know, a quick meeting before the nurses hit the floor, whatever that is. If you have a regular team meeting, however brief, and there's a rhythm to it that say uh, every two weeks or every one week, maybe you meet every day, but pick a date every week or two, put it in your calendar and make a note that it's a purpose date. What I want you to do at the beginning of that meeting, you know, you have an agenda. They, your staff knows what you do in that quick meeting. At the beginning of the meeting, I want you to say, hey, before we get to the agenda, uh, let me just say something uh, that I don't usually say. You know, I was thinking about our, our vision uh, and, you know, our enterprise, our, our whatever exists. And we say this all the time. It's on our billboard. We exist to, and then share what the vision is. And I was just thinking this week, and, and I was watching uh, Sarah. I was watching Bob. I, I was watching Joe. And here's what, here's what Sarah did. And then pick something that, that is small, but that is in alignment with that vision, with that purpose. I saw Sarah do this. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, there, there was a guy who came into a tire uh, enterprise, multiple tire store that we were just working with earlier this week. And um, they're about safety. You know, they, have a, they have a purpose of helping families go on vacation or come home safe or go to work and come back safe on safe tires. This guy didn't have enough money for four tires and he needed four. And so the guy out in front, the tech, knowing what the company stands for, went back and, and talked to his manager and said, you know, we've got a bunch of good used tires here and we're not going to use them. Can I just throw four tires on his car? He, he can pay for two. Well, of course you can, because that's what we're here for. 
that would be a story. You know, this week, you know, uh, he did that. And that's, you know, we say, bring families home safely. That was it right there. And anyway, I don't know why I don't know why I don't talk about this regularly. You know, why we're so busy getting work done. But anyway, it was just on my mind this week, and I wanted to mention it. Let's get on with our agenda. Now, here's the deal, Amanda. We have to understand in leadership how intentional we must be. Our people don't know what to pay attention to because we're all, all over the map. And so they didn't listen to that. I promise you that if you do that once, they won't hear it. It'll just it'll zip by their ear. Here's the hard news of leadership, the intentionality news. The next week when it's on your calendar or two weeks later when it's on your calendar, do it again. You must do it the same way. Don't call attention to it. Don't, don't sound a trumpet. Just say, hey, before we get started with our meeting, um, you know, I was just thinking about our vision. And, and you know, here's what we say. And this week, I noticed something. And name somebody else and tell that story and then get back to your agenda. The second week you do it, nobody will notice. Um, our organization has attention problems, and, and that is because we are throwing too much stuff at it and we're not consistent. Somewhere around week four or five, the brains will align and they'll say, uh, I, that's, he said that before. She, that's something she said last week. And there will, there will be this alignment of, my boss cares about this. My boss is thinking about this. My boss notices this stuff. They keep mentioning the vision statement. You know, I don't think about it either, but, but now I kind of know what it looks like practically. I can see me doing that stuff. And that alignment that happens then creates a virtuous flywheel of more of that happening. And so you start slow. Please don't go in and say, hey, I watched a, I watched a workshop. <laughs> It was wonderful, and I got a new thing because eyes will roll uh, because they're tired. Come in under the wire, just begin practicing this, and somewhere at month three, month four, month five, you can say, you know, I, it's crazy, but I, I guess I've been doing this every week. Hey, Sarah, would you keep your eyes open this week to something that happens on our team that serves our great purpose? And would you bring a story story next week? Would you be willing to do this? What you've now done is you've embedded purpose in a very simple place down into the rhythm of your organization, into the hearts of your people. So that's one concrete idea you can do tomorrow. I cannot wait to do that tomorrow. Thank you so much. I'm sure everybody is agreeing. That is a great, tangible, practical suggestion that we can all implement right away. John, thank you so much for being here with us today. And on behalf of the entire Servant Leadership Online Training Summit team, I want to thank you. My pleasure. And thank you to everybody for tuning in and for giving your attention to the Servant Leadership conversation that we've started or, or uh, I like to think of it as a movement. So thank you so much for tuning in and for making servant leadership a part of your business and a part of your life. We'll catch you on the next session. Take care. Thank you for attending the Servant Leadership Online Training Summit. To own the Servant Leadership Training Kit, including 40 videos, full transcripts, and over 35 speaker bonuses at a 40% discount, click the upgrade button now. This special offer is limited and available only during the summit, so act now. Thank you.